I'll call your attention now to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, Gospel according to John, chapter 21, and we read from verse 1 through 19, and the title of the message is very important for you to grasp right away, is Deja Vu, Deja Vu, re-experiencing the risen Christ, Deja Vu, re-experiencing the risen Christ. John 21, 1 through 19 says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to fishing. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped from work for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in, in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had fished, when, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Let us pray once again. Lord, we need to hear the gospel again, all of us. And we need to, to experience the depth of the doctrine that we hear tonight. Not only for our benefit in the sense of good things that can come to us because of this, but as a, a way to worship you, to be satisfied with you, to really worship your name because of the gospel. Please help us to do so as we hear and listen to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a déjà vu before? You know what it is? Have you ever experienced an event in your life that had already taken place in your past? Like, oh, that's interesting. It's, it seems like it's happening all over again. That thing that happened a, week, a year ago. Have you experienced that before? Well, this passage is shot through with deja vus with the purpose to manifest who Jesus is. If you see in verse 1 and verse 14... You have the same verbs there. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And then you see the same verb for revelation in verse 14. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You see the emphasis there? The manifestation, that's the word behind revelation there that Jesus manifests himself to the disciples. And the disciples should recognize their risen Christ. As in verse 4, they did not. They could not recognize the Lord. But then in verse 7, they do recognize Jesus. And in verse 12, again they recognize Jesus. First, it was John who recognized Jesus in his manifestation there, and then Peter follows the beloved disciple. But here is the lesson. Not only the disciples at that moment must have deja vu of Jesus, but the readers, you and me, you and I, we should also have deja vus about the risen Christ, to remember him. And here's the first lesson, the deja vu of re-experiencing the risen Christ. First, it's like Jesus saying to you this, remember that I am the true fisher of men. It's Jesus saying to us, remember, I am the true fisher of men. Verses 1 through 8. Let us see the deja vus here. 
In verse 2, John lists seven disciples that they were together. And here again is something that you have to recall the emphasis of the Gospel of John. You see seven days in John 1, seven signs in the Gospel of John, seven scenes in Jesus' trial, seven scenes in the crucifixion, seven signs in the burial of Jesus, seven, seven, seven. And here in the last chapter again, the number seven appears and seven disciples, they go fishing. And then in verse 2, you see Nathaniel is mentioned here It is the same Nathaniel that you see only in the Gospel of John in chapter 1. You see again a bookends in the Gospel with the commissions of the disciples in chapter 1. Jesus commissioning them to go to be His disciples. And again here, you see the repetition, the déjà vu of the commission again. You see? It's very interesting, I think. And Nathaniel's recognition that Jesus is the Messiah in chapter 1 is here again. He has to recognize Jesus as the risen Messiah, as the risen Christ. And then in verses 3 to 8, you see another déjà vu. Because they go to fishing, they try to catch the entire night and they could not catch anything. They were experts in catching fish, in fishing, but they could not do anything that night. And then Jesus comes and says, throw the net on your right side of the boat. And as I read it to you, it seems like they were not happy about this. Jesus asked, have you caught anything? They said, no. I think in a very angry tone, probably. But they do what Jesus said, and when they do it, it seems like the whole fish of that sea jumps into that net. And that is something for you to remember at the beginning of ministry of Jesus, don't you? Isn't it something for you to remember? In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, the same thing happened at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. His earthly ministry. And it's happening again after His resurrection. It's a deja vu. You see? In Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, the same experience happens there. The beginning of Jesus' ministry, He did the same and said to them, after they had the net full of fish, Fear not, from now on you will be Fishers of men. Jesus is reminding the disciples again when they go back to their work of fishing. Now, I want you to be fishers of men. And again, you see the deja vu here is confirmed with the verb to draw in verses 6 and 11 of John chapter 21. The verb to draw. It was already used by John in chapter 6, verse 44, when it says this. Very famous verse, 644. No man can come to me, which is the same thing. No man can believe in me, says Jesus. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. This is the same verb 
that we see here in John 21. Draw him. It is for you to pick up the deja vu again. The drawing of the fish, the animal fish, it is like a symbol of fishing men. You see the same truth in John chapter 12, verse 32, when Jesus says, I, if I I be lifted up from the earth, will draw, the same verb, all men unto me. Men coming in faith to Jesus. It is about conversion of men. That's the deja vu, do you see? That's what's behind the text. He says, remember. Jesus says, I am the true fisher of men. I am the one who controls all the planet. I am the one who controls all the sea. I am the one who controls all the fish. And that's a sign for you to remember that I control the hearts of men as well. I am the one who has authority and power in heaven and on earth. Just like I have power over nature and make fish jump into your net, so also I have power to convert multitude of sinners like I did with you, Peter, and all the disciples that I had truly saved. And do you remember after this, after resurrection in Acts chapter 2, when the preaching of Peter, 3,000 people got converted at once. Beginning with 12 disciples, actually 11 after Judah betrayed Jesus, few centuries, a massive conversion, conversion swept the Roman Empire. In few centuries, can you believe that? And when you hear this, that Jesus saying to them, have a deja vu, remember, I am the true fisher of men, using you to do my work. It's far to remember our condition, right? Have you ever had a season of nights without catching? Have you? In your family, we preached the gospel for so many years. Like a night seems like eternity. Your son is not converted. Your wife or husband is not converted. Your daughter, your granddaughter, your neighbor. You know that night without catching? I want you for you this evening with this deja vu of Jesus to remember this. Remember where the power is. Can you do that? Remember where the power is. We, you and I, we are merely vessels of clay. Remember who the true fisher of man is. Remember the power of the risen Christ. Remember what you have in hands. It is the same power that created this, this world. It is the same power 
there rose a man dead for three days. And he rose again. That's the same power that we have in the gospel. It is not in us. That will be confidence for you to bring the gospel, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, first to your own family and then to others. I believe many times we don't preach the gospel as we should because we forget where the power is. Let me give you an illustration. Let me put some flesh in the bones here for you to grasp the truth. Okay? I'm going to read a story uh, by Harry Reader III. He's a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor. He wrote this for the uh, uh, Table Talk magazine. Uh, the, the title of the, the article is Power Under the Hood. Power Under the Hood. Pay attention to this application. He says this. When I was 16, my father bought me a car at an auction for $75. It was a pink 57 Ford, which dad insisted was coral. I couldn't drive a pink car to school. I then heard words that in order to distant future, my children would hear, son, a poor ride is better than a proud walk. It was said so convincingly, I knew it was probably in the Bible. Then my dad opened the hood. And to my surprise, underneath was a 390 engine with the two four-barrel carburetors. The car had been a South Carolina state interceptor, a highway patrol car. Nothing had more power under the hood. Space and conviction prevents me from detailing the surprises that Corvettes and Roadsters would get after they looked laughingly at my pink 57 Ford while sitting side by side at spotlights. It didn't look much, but there was power under the hood. And then he's going to apply this to young Christians, and I'm going to apply it to you and to me tonight. Listen to this application. Young Christian and Christians of the Trinity URC, the world despises the gospel in its simplicity and disdains the vessel entrusted to carry and proclaim it. But there is power under the hood. Live the gospel. Believe and preach the whole gospel. The gospel blessings that declare who you are in Christ. The gospel imperative that call you to your new life for Christ. This gospel transforms the hearts, minds, and wills of sinners. Thankfully, it continues to transform mine. Preach it to yourself, to each other, and to the lost. And know the joys of the gospel-driven life. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you hear it? Don't you ever forget when you go to the streets 
when you talk to your children, when you talk to the lost in your family, at meals, at your job, or to yourself, when you proclaim the gospel because of the reason Christ, there is power under the hood. Yes, we are not, we are nothing. We are vessels of clay. But we need to believe again with all our hearts that what we have here, what bring us here, what we have as Christians, it is this power under the hood. But there's more in the text. Another deja vu. That is beautiful text. Not only for you to remember that Jesus, he says, I am the true fisher of men. Secondly, remember, I am the true shepherd. Verses 9 to 17. Another deja vu. See, they come to the shore and find fish and bread. Jesus is a cook, you know. He is a cook. And they found fish and bread. Verses 9 and 13. It is a meal that again is a deja vu. It's a reminder for us of John 6. That you are reading through the Gospel of John. And you got to remember that that already happened in the gospel. It's a deja vu for the reader, you know. It's, it's happening again. It's for them to remember. It's a reminder. It's a deja vu. In John 6, the multiplication of bread and fish to the multitude that Christ did. It's a deja vu of a miracle story of provision in John's gospel. And it's amazing literature, isn't it? You just don't just write something and it's there. There is a purpose behind everything. There is a design in the literature. And you see the provision of Christ as a true shepherd in three scenes in the Gospel of John. And you see the parallel in them. It's amazing literature. I want you to see this. It's so beautiful. It's another deja vu. You see, you have three kind of meals. You, have the, you see the changing of the water to wine in the middle, in the uh, meal of the wedding you, in chapter 2. And then you have the multiplication of the loaves in chapter 6. And now you have the fishing meal here in chapter 21. In the first, at the wedding, you have plentiful wine, Remember? In chapter 6 of the multiplication of the loaves, you have plentiful bread. And here, in chapter 21, you have a plentiful fish. In the wedding, in chapter 2, it is noted how many, the plenty of wine they had. Six stone jars, two twenty to 30 gallons of wine. It was amazing. In the multiplication of the loaves in chapter 6, again, John gives us the plenty is noted. Twelve baskets of loaves. And here's the fish. I think that's the reason why he gives the number. 153 large fishes in verse 11. You see the pattern? He noted the plentiness of the meal. And all of them, the three of them occurred in Galilee. The wedding in Galilee, the multiplication of, gold, of the loaves in Galilee, and here is in the Sea of Galilee. One is in the wedding meal, meal of 5,000, and the meal 
of the lake shore. Wine, bread, and fish. There was the Mediterranean diet. See, the echo of Jesus, the true shepherd in John 10.10, says this, I came in order that they might have life in heaven, have it in abundance. That's the principle behind this, you see? That's the deja vu. I am the true shepherd providing the meal, what you need, in abundance. And then in verse 12, in chapter 21, it says, Come, have breakfast. And the principle behind everything, the physical meaning behind, it is the spiritual meaning of no more hunger, no more thirst. As John 6, 35 says, He that come to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You see what the narrative is teaching us? The deja vu, the reason Jesus is your satisfaction, your shepherd, you shall not want. A French author called Albert Camus, in one of his books, The Fall, was describing a guy who lived in sin, and there's a very famous phrase that says this. Because I longed for eternal life. You see this? Because I longed for eternal life, I went to bed with harlots and drank for nights on end. In the morning, to be sure, my mouth was filled with the bitter taste of a, the mortal state. Longed for eternal bliss for eternal life. Then I woke up with a taste of death in my mouth. You see, probably one side of this church, there's someone just like this. But maybe on the other side, there are people working hard, trying to, to live in his career, doing all they want, Working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to what? Longing for eternal life. And even though it's so different from the one living in, in open sin, they are the same. They will, will wake up with the taste of death in his or her mouth. Unless... Unless you hear this deja vu saying, I am the true shepherd. Come to me. Come to me. Yes, do your work. Yes, do what you have to do. But don't long for eternal life in those things. I am your true shepherd. Come to me. No matter what. No matter what happens. I will give you life and life in abundance. This is the true shepherd. Says the true shepherd. 
is for you now for, to confront your own heart. To confront my own heart. Because it's so tricky, isn't it? To confess with the lips, but to live it out would be another thing. But not only this. I think Jesus goes deeper in this true shepherd. Because Jesus shows how he is the true shepherd with Peter. And I want you to pay attention because it's like a simple uh, case study for all of us. Peter has a deja vu when he sees in verse 9 a fire of coals, you see? The only place this word appears again in the entire Bible is in John 18, verse 18, when Peter denies Jesus, when he was warming himself in the fire. It's a deja vu for Peter here. And then Jesus made a case study with, with Peter. After they had breakfast and in the presence of everyone, Jesus pulls Peter aside, or even probably in the midst of all of them, and presents another deja vu. Do you know what it is? It's so clear in the text, I think. Three times. Three times Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you know why Jesus is doing that? Can you recall the deja vu? Because it was three times that Peter denied Jesus in chapter 18. And he's pressing very deep the nail in his heart. Going deeper and deeper in every question that he is asking Peter, do you love me? In such a way that Peter noticed it. And he became sad. On the third time. Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. Because Jesus doesn't say, you were a coward, Peter. He doesn't say that, even though it's true. He doesn't say, you were someone who had fear of men. Although that was true, but he didn't say that. And he could say, you are a liar, Peter. But Jesus doesn't go there, even though that was true about Peter. No, he says, do you love me more than these? We don't know what than these is, but doesn't matter. Do you love me more than anything? That's the meaning of the phrase. And he asked three times. And here's the application for you and for me with this deja vu, because you need to be in the skin of Peter, you and I. The real problem with our sin is not that we love more other things than than our family or our career. That's not the problem. The problem is that we love more other things than Jesus. That's the root of the matter. That's the essence of our heart's problem. We do not only break rules, you see, But we break the heart of the Creator God, Jesus. That is another deja vu in John. Jesus is applying what He has already said. Listen to this. It is exactly what He said in chapters 
before. If you love me, says Jesus in chapter 14, keep my commandments. Remember that? John 14, 15. Or he says this, He that hath my commandment and keepeth them, he it is that love me, and he that love me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Manifest, the same verb to reveal himself, you see, that you find here in chapter 21. And now let me plead with you. Let me call you to repentance. Repent. Repent. Repent not only of your breaking of rules, but your lack of love for the one who created you, the one you confess you believe in. Repent. That's an offer right now. An offer for you to believe and repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, don't care if you are in this church or was born in a Christian family. I don't care. It is now a call for you to repent and believe in the gospel. Children, hear me out. This is the time. And I'm going to quote here another pastor called Benjamin Grosvenor. He says this. It is talking like is Jesus talking to you. Like Jesus is talking to you, says this. If you meet that poor wretch that thrust the spear into my side, tell him there is another way, a better way of coming at my heart. If he will repent and look upon whom he has pierced and will mourn, I will cherish him in the very bosom, bosom he has wounded. He shall find the blood he shed and an ample atonement for his sin of shedding it. And tell him from me he will put me to more pain and displeasure by refusing this offer of my blood than when he drew it forth. Don't despise it. Don't be indifferent to it. Come, there's nothing like it. But there's nothing, something even deeper, I think, in the text. Yes, let's go deeper. Because the shepherd Jesus is amazing. Reason with me. How can Peter show love to Jesus when he asks, Do you love me, Jesus? Uh, do you love me, Peter? What is the Christ's order after Je Peter says, Yes, I do love you, Jesus? If I were Jesus, and I, I do this with reverence, I think I would say, Peter, do you love me? He said, Yes, I do love you. Then I would say, Then worship me, worship me right now. Come on, bow your knees and worship me. Or I would say, sing to me, praise, sing psalms to me right now. But that's not what Jesus does. And I think this is so amazing that we could go on and on with this truth. When Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, I do love me. Then Jesus says, then feed my sheep. 
feed my sheep. Peter must do exactly what Jesus is doing with him to shepherd his church. You see in the text it says, not your church, Peter, my church, my sheep. It is his sheep, not Peter's sheep. And you see here the doctrine of union of Christ with his church. The way that you show love to Jesus is the way you show love to his church, to his body, to his spouse, to his bride. Were you fished out by Christ? Then let me ask you this. Don't think about anybody else. Do you love him? Do you? You can say, it is not a perfect love. I think that's what Peter said. It's not a perfect, complete love. It is imperfect love, but I love you, my Lord. Is that what you say? Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? Then Jesus says to you, then feed my sheep. Serve my people. Love my church. How do you show love for Jesus? When you love his church. No matter what. No matter the breakdown. No matter the the conflict. No matter the problem. You love Christ's church. It is just like you say to me, I love you, but I hate your wife. No, then you don't love me. See? Then you will love the members of your family. Do you love Jesus? If you do, you'll be faithful in ministry. You will love his sheep. Husbands, do you love Jesus? Then feed Christ's sheep, your wife and your children, every day. And I'm talking to myself here as well. You see the connection? There's no way how you can love Jesus and not love his church. But you say, I can't do it. I'm not worthy of this. Exactly, you are not. The unworthy, coward, fearful disciple, Peter, the biggest failure of the group, repented, received mercy, and that is why he was used for the kingdom. That's what the text says. That's the implication of the text, you see. He was the biggest failure. But received mercy. And that is why Jesus is calling him and recommissioning him again to work for his kingdom. Grace. Sheer grace of the gospel. Only in the gospel that the worst failure is used for the gospel when there is repentance. You see, in the company and industry of this world, if you fail three times, you are fired. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biggest failure when we receive grace and repents, it is used the most. The one who is the most forgiving is the one who is the most 
loved by Jesus and the one who loved more Jesus. What a shepherd Christ is. What a shepherd he is. But then lastly, remember that Jesus says, I am the true fisher of men. Remember, I am the true shepherd. Lastly, remember, I am the true love. Verses 18 and 19 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk whatever, wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In what manner would Peter show his love for Christ and his church? It is this, simple, this. You will die for God's glory, Peter. And in what manner? How would he die? He's stretching out his hands like this. Verse 19. And says, this spake he signifying what death, what kind of death he should glorify God. That's another déjà vu, do you see, in the text? What déjà vu is that? Do you know that the same words that he signified by what death he would glorify God is the same thing that you find in John chapter 12, verse 32 for Jesus? Death to glorify the Father? Go home and check that. John 12, 32. It's another déjà vu. It's amazing. Who stretched out his hands for Peter? Who just did it three days ago? Who stretched out his hands on a cursed cross? Jesus did. And that was another reminder, another deja vu. Your future, Peter, will be like mine, the cross. And that's a symbol to glorify God by showing love. How? Stretching out hands. Do you know what that means? Do you? Vulnerability. When you have your hands stretched out like this, anyone can do anything to you. You can hug someone and they can put a knife in your back. Vulnerability, to be vulnerable. When you are in defense, boxing, you close your hands and your arms like this. But like this, it shows vulnerability. Here's the application for all of us. Jesus is giving us deja vu that he did for us, be vulnerable for us. As a, an example, as a proof, as a demonstration of his love for us. How? You cannot love if you are not willing to be vulnerable and open to get hurt. You hear me? I have that tendency and I believe you have that too. You want to keep people away from you for, at distance. Not know you very well. If you know your failures, your problems, your difficulties... Then you know who you really are. 
And they probably, they will not love you. They will hurt you. That's why we don't talk much with everyone. That's why we have some ways to keep people away in the church. If you want to love someone, we need to be vulnerable. Even to the risk of being hurt. Because that's the only way that we can truly love. Because that's what Jesus did for us. We can risk people know who we are because we are secured by the one who knows completely, completely who we are, but nevertheless died for us to save us through love. Isn't it Amazing deja vu. Every day to die to ourselves, to our earthly self, and to our old man. Every day of our lives. To take up the cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow Him. You see? I remember when I went to seminary in Brazil, the founder of the seminary was a Korean pastor. And the first lesson that he used to give to the students that got there was this. Seminarians, you know why you're here? You know why you came here? And he says in the Korean accent, to die, huh? To die. To die every day in order to live. And I want to end and conclude with an illustration of this truth. To remember your Jesus. That he is the true fisher of men. That he is the true shepherd of your heart. And that he is the true love of your life. It's a story by uh, John MacArthur told this story. The pastor in California, Grace Community Church. I said that a young girl from a Muslim country was attending the master's college. Okay, that's the context. And the story is that she came to faith by listening to a broadcast of MacArthur's sermons read by a man in her own language. So she could not even understand English. It was a sermon, sermon being read to her, to a group of people. And she got converted. Her father was a mid-level official in the government of that country. And she got converted, and she wanted to know more about the Bible and the gospel and Jesus, and she could not do that. And she asked to go to the master college, saying that she's going to major in computers and technology because her country would not allow her to study Christianity or the Bible. But then when she was done, she flew back home. And the first person that she saw when she got home was her uncle. Her uncle was waiting for her at home. And the first thing that her uncle asked her was, are you a Christian? And she said to him, yes, I am. 
And then he picked up, he picked up a chair and broke it over her back. Then took a leg of that chair broken and began to beat her up to death. When she feared for her life, her father came and rescued her. And then Mark Carter, who was interviewing her after the event, asked her, what was going into your mind when your uncle was beating you to death because you were a Christian and not a Muslim anymore? And here's her answer that I think summed up so well the beauty of Christianity of the gospel. It is so beautiful, her answer. And I want you to go home with this truth about Jesus and the implications for our lives. She said this to MacArthur. What was going on in her mind? I was thinking that this man has a religion that he would kill for. But I have a Savior that I would die for. Would that be your response? Would that be my response? Do you know the privilege that we have? The magnitude of the grace that we have to confess, to proclaim, to believe, and to live out this gospel with no threat, with no risk in our countries. Are we willing to go to this Depth of faith to count a privilege, a grace, just like the disciples in Acts chapter 5, to be worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That is why this evening you had deja vus to remind yourself that your Christ is, he is the true fishers of men. He is the true fisher of men. He is the true shepherd. And he is the true love of the Christian life. You have spiritual amnesia, you know, and I have too. And today Jesus says to you, based on this text, You are discouraged. Then he says, I am the true fisher of men. There is power under the hood. Keep it up. Keep on preaching. Keep on proclaiming. Keep on evangelizing. If you are convicted of your sins, he says, I am the true shepherd of your soul. Come to me. And if you are cold in your spiritual life, he says, I am the true love. Follow me. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Now prepare our hearts for next Sunday, O Lord, so that we can apply the truth of the gospel in our sufferings based on Psalm 46. And also prepare our hearts for next Sunday to hear the cry of Jesus, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit during the week so that we can have another deja vu. 
to the next Lord's Day. In His name that we pray. Amen.